Welcome to MindVibe, a mental health podcast for everyone. Since our first episode in 2016, we have been sharing stories of recovery, engaging with experts, and tackling the stigma associated with mental illness. The MindVibe podcast is produced by Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences and is available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Mind Vine Podcast. This is episode 93, and uh, our guest is one that always makes me nervous because when we have somebody on the podcast who does radio or TV, uh, which this guy does a bit of both sometimes, but he's predominantly Sportsnet Central host. He's an author, uh, native of proud native of Pictou County, Nova Scotia, because he always references it uh, <laughs> during the highlights. I'm pleased to welcome uh, Ken Reed. Hi, Ken. Don't be nervous, Daryl. Nothing to be nervous about. <laughs> I'll buddy. work my way through it. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's, uh, as I mentioned before, I'm wearing this shirt in your honor because I, I grew up in Sudbury and I'm very yeah. proud of that. And yeah. and uh, so anytime I mention that I'm from Sudbury, anybody says, yeah, I, I know, I'm aware because I mention right. it so often. And I feel like you're kind of in the same uh, category. You're very proud of where you came from and you yeah. use every opportunity to reference your hometown. I do. I don't. I think it's a small town thing. Everyone from a small town tends to be proud of where they're from, and and just I know everyone thinks everyone from Nova Scotia is related. So your East Coast lifestyle <laughs> shirt, uh, Alex, who runs East Coast Lifestyle, his dad used to be my dentist. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Always, that, there's there always you go. a connection. There's always yeah. a connection. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. If you well, tell me you're Eddie Shack's nephew, then you know that'd be really crazy. <laughs> I have met Eddie Shack, and uh, well, I'm not his nephew. There were more than a few stories that are memorable from those exchanges. Oh yeah, yeah. Eddie, Eddie always brought stories with him and, and yeah. created stories. That was the magic of Eddie Shack, right? You just didn't yes. meet him, you walked away with a story. Yeah, actually he was one of the, not to get derailed, but he was probably one of the most gracious human beings I ever met. Um, wow, just kidding. Yeah, 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 really nice guy. He was he was awesome, I got a chance to write a book with him right before he passed away, mm. so it was, it was awesome, it was like, it was like Eddie's last twirl, his last yeah. lap. So he, wow. he enjoyed it, and then cancer, you know. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's an honor, at least to to have done that uh, with him. So we're getting a little off track, but we're we're going to talk sports and all sorts of things because that's your life. It's actually a huge part of my life too. But um, today we're we're talking mental health, and it was about a year ago, maybe thirteen months ago, that you know you kind of came on the scene as somebody with a mental health connection. And uh, just wondering if you could talk about, you know, your, your kind of your journey with mental health a little bit to start yeah, us off. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, you're referring to that story in the Toronto Star. It was early December, I guess, 13, 14 months ago. But I, but I, I'd been talking about it openly for, you know, five, six years before that. I would do, like, you know, when I, it would come up from time to time. Shane Corson and I would do talks. Shane and I, pretty much similar journey. But it never was really out there for everyone to see. It's funny when you do something in print, it just has this amazing impact. So so the star contacted me about doing a story and I was kind of lukewarm to doing it. I didn't want a woe is me story and, you know, but then I talked to my wife and she said, you know, do it because maybe it'll help some other people. So I kind of did it with that. And that's kind of what Michael Landsberg's been doing since the start. And uh, yeah, so I, I threw it out there. The reaction was really good. Uh, I'd like to think it, it helped some people, touch some people, but yeah, I guess my mental health story would, would, I was a normal kid. I had an awesome childhood in Pecto, Nova Scotia, you know, road hockey, baseball, fishing, golf, baseball cards, hockey cards, everything that 
you think a small town kid would do. Then around, I guess, 13, 14, I, I kind of went into this weird shell. I got awkward. I had a weird growth spurt. I had to get glasses. You know, the, the classic teenage story. And then I just, I, I don't know what it what prompted it, but it just, I just became just so full of anxiety and fear and do people like me, do people like me, what's wrong with me, that kind of stuff. Um, I just became instantly shy, had a real awkward high school adventure. Uh, you, you, I get to university and I had no confidence in myself, um, just didn't want to go out. And then, you know, you just, like a lot of kids in school, you discover drinking and when you drink you feel good, but then when you wake up the next day you feel worse. And I got into this spiral of just feeling horrible about myself all the time. And I didn't really know what it was. I went through university. I remember I'd walk to class with my hat down like that in hopes that nobody would know who I was or see me. And and I just, I, I didn't like myself. And I didn't really know what it was. And it just continued. It just continued. And I was maybe 22, 23. I opened up to my father. I remember you know, just bawling and what's, I don't like myself. I don't feel good. I never feel good about myself. What's wrong? So he put me onto a doctor and I went and discussed it with a doctor for a couple, couple of meetings. And I thought, okay, I'm cured. He, he told me I, it might be this. I remember uh, dysthemia, I think was the term he used. And uh, I'm like, okay, well now I know what to do. And I didn't. So then it, the trend continues. And I got to my early thirties and I would keep having episodes of not wanting to get out of bed some days, high anxiety, feeling horrible about myself. And one day my wife said, "You, this is enough, you gotta call a doctor. Because, you know, I would go, I'd feel good for a while and then I'd go back into these spirals. Feel good, go back into these spirals. So she said kind of enough is enough because she knew what was going on, but she didn't know how to treat me, right? You can talk to somebody, but ultimately you gotta get a pro to help you out. So I yellow page the nearest doctor, went and made an appointment. I met with her just yesterday, I've been going to her for 10, 11 years now. And it started as going and cure me. And that's not what it was. Um, so it was a long journey. And um, eventually I got on some medication. And it, I just, I, I remember going to my doctor and just going, I just want to feel normal. I want to have normal bad days. Because you know, for, for people with mental health, their bad days can just be these pits, as opposed to just having a bad day. So now when I have a bad day, for the most part, it's just a bad day. And I'm armed, I'd like to think, from going to my doctor for 10 years with, with uh, I'm armed with the ability and, and the, the weapons to fight off these bad days. And I, and I kind of know when something's coming on. And I know not to go out, you know, drinking with my buddies till four in the morning, because the next day I won't feel good. And then that'll linger and that'll lead to, to, to different stuff. So it's been long, but the last uh, 10 years have been, for the most part, really good. And... I mean, it used to be, I used to be just full of anxiety and just pits in my stomach and worrying about things that didn't garner worry. And now it's just, I like, you know, you still have bad days, but at least when I go through my bad days now, I know how to, to fight them. So it was long and it took me a long time to get my stuff together. I'd say I, I was in a really bad spot, probably from like really bad spot, probably from 17 18 years old to 31 32 and now i'm i'm a happy guy i got two kids and a nice wife and picket fence well no picket fence but everything's pretty good for, for the most part 
You could have a picket fence if you wanted. Like, I, yeah, yeah, if I if I took some money out of the bank, I could build a picket <laughs> fence. Yes. <laughs> when you talk about you know kind of your journey, and you know it's very common for people you know who are struggling with mental health issues to uh, kind of be unarmed, right? You're going through this, yes. and you don't have you, you know forget about medication. You don't have any tools, um, yes. you know, to kind of manage your health. And once you're you know you you you, you talk about you know, medication but there's other tools that you you know would employ to manage your health and when you have that kind of package of of tools of mm -hmm. uh, things you can do to manage your health like how empowering is it compared uh, to where you were like you know 10 15 years ago it's great i was a self-medicator right like a lot of young people through your 20s you're going out to the bar after work you think you're having a great time you are there's some good times in there don't get me wrong but you're kind of only feeling good when you're self-medicating so now, I mean, there's just these little things that, you know, I remind myself all the time, control what you can control. It's a simple message, but it's kind of hard to master. And, you know, a little discipline, uh, knowing what you can do, what you can't do. Um, and just, yeah, once, once, you, once you get armed with these things, you feel better. And I, I, don't, I can't really, it's weird, I can't really tell you what they are other than what I just said, but over the course of going to my doctor for all these years, you just kind of learn to just live and not let up these other things bother you. And don't get me wrong, medication helps too, because it's a chemical thing, right? So for, for me anyway, like, and I remember being shy to tell my psychologist that I was on medication for my GP. And she's like, well, what's wrong with that? It's just another tool. And I, I just, I just have a feeling of comfort now. And I think getting on medication really just helped me get that feeling of comfort. I was reluctant for a long time to get on medication because, you know, I was, I was, pills are for people that are weak. You know, I don't need pills. I can do it without pills. I'm like, but now I've, you know, I've, I've learned enough. I'm like, well, if you have a broken leg, you'd probably take an aspirin and then they treat your leg. So to me, it's no different. So I'm sure my, my Ciprolex or whatever it's called is working wonders up here and I'm armed with other wonders from my doctor, you know, control, you can control. And I, I remember one day going in and just telling my doctor, you know, I'm a, my mom's a worry wart. Um, I come from a long line of worry warts. I'm a worry wart. And she said, you don't have to be a worry wart. And I thought, oh, that for me was like this, this light that came on. And it's a simple message, but it's true. And then you learn to just kind of let things go in a lot of ways. And, you know, you learn what you can and cannot do. Like, we live in this very divisive world now. I think social media is the worst thing to happen to humanity ever, next to the creation of the internet. I'm contractually obligated to have a Twitter account, okay? <laughs> so I, you know, I try to stick to sports. When I stick to sports, I'm generally pretty happy. Like last night I tweeted out, Barry Bonds doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame, so people came at me, but it's sports opinions. But when you get into politics and other things, it creates divides. I'm not, I love hockey fights, but I don't like fighting myself. I don't like getting into confrontations. So I just kind of try to steer clear of this. Like, so I think one of the things I'm armed with is knowing where I should and should not go. Because I don't want to put myself into a situation where I'm going to start twirling and, and feeling horrible about myself but sometimes it still happens and when it happens you have to go okay this is what's happening i'm aware of what's happening instead of just immediately going into that pit mm -hmm.
Well, and your Twitter account is also full of wrestling references, which yeah. I appreciate <laughs> yes. See, as that, well. See, wrestling makes me happy. That's where you should go with wrestling <laughs> yeah. cards, right? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, judging by your references on on your show and on Twitter, we're not too far off the same vintage, you know, growing up in the 80s and early yes. 90s. Yes. And um, I know from my experience, <clears throat> mental health was, you know, I didn't, it wasn't even a term, you know, when I was no. growing up. And, uh, you know, all those cliches that we talk about that we saw in movies like stiff upper lip and don't cry. And like, yeah. you know, not, not that I yeah. not that I actually remember my parents telling me any of those things, but those were the things that I believed as a sure. kid. And, you know, many of us growing up in that era uh, did. When you're going through this and then, you know, you're going through this your whole life, right? Uh, not just when you were a teenager going through an awkward phase and not just when you were receiving help. You're, like you mentioned, you're going through it now when you're managing your mental health on a day-to-day basis. But I wonder, like, did stigma or shame, did that factor into your decision-making or prevent you from getting help, you know, oh, yeah. in, in your 20s as opposed to when, you know, when you were in your early 30s or whatever the case may be? I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, when when you grew up in the eighties, you know, it was there was bad terms. No one said mental health. They'd say you're you know you're you're nuts or something stupid like that. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I think at first you'd think, okay, that's I can control this. Okay, it's not it's not a big deal. And why is this happening to me? Okay, this is just a phase. And then it keeps happening and. I think eventually, like, if you just don't reach out to somebody, you're going to have a breakdown. And I had a breakdown, you know, I was bawling in front of my dad. I'd be bawling in front of my friends. And I I, just, I think for me, it, it came to, uh, it just came to a head where I grew up. I was kind of sick of living like that. And I had to do something because I, I knew I'm like, I can't keep going on like this. And when my wife told me, I'm like, okay, I have to do it. But yeah, there was massive stigmas growing up. You wouldn't, I mean, my mom always, my mom, when she saw that, the newspaper article called me bawling. You know, how come I didn't know? I'm so, I feel horrible. I'm like, Mom, it's not your fault. I didn't tell you. Mm-hmm. How can you know? You know, so if you don't tell somebody, they don't know. And um, you can want to be the greatest singer in the world, but if you don't tell somebody or try singing, you're not going to be the greatest singer in the world. So it's the same thing with mental health. Like, If you don't tell somebody, they're probably not going to know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I would tell... You know, I remember telling my dad there when I mentioned I was 22, 23, and I never really brought it up with my mom much because I was afraid it would hurt her. And I would, my brother kind of shares a similar journey to me, and he and I would talk about it. And he and I would basically talk each other down. And that becomes heavy because I'm holding his burden, he's holding mine. But it's when you just get it out there, it's it's easier. Um, so I'm so happy now we're, we're at a, a point in time where it's okay to talk about it and that like it's, and it's amazing. Like, like you think you're alone, right? But you're not like, there's unfortunately a lot of people that go through this and my God, the last two years, it's, I, I shudder to think of what the consequences of the last two years are going to be on, on young people, kids, you know, people in universities things like that but thank goodness we can talk about it now because for years you couldn't and for years you didn't want to and now we're at a i think we're at a point now where it's like yeah it's okay let me know where where for years it was like okay just just don't talk about that yeah it's one of i mean your comment about the internet and social media 
you know, I would probably agree with like 50% because, you know, there's so much um, complexities to it. Yeah. But one of the, personally, one of the things I, you know, I like about social media in this age is you can be, you know, whoever you are, right? You can be yourself and in social media, you can put yourself out there uh, if you want to, or the internet, like uh, you did with the Toronto Star article. And uh, whereas, you know, you wouldn't have had that, that tool before or that outlet. We work a lot with patients and, and people who have gone through a, a journey, recovery journey with mental illness and who have shared their stories and they all have different experiences. You know, almost all of them are predominantly positive in different ways mm-hmm. of touching people's lives. When that article comes out with you sitting on the bench and the Toronto Star right. and like the, I know you did some follow-up um, stories with uh, Rogers outlets and so forth. Um, what was the reaction? Like, what would like? What was your experience after kind of that was published? It was pretty great. It was pretty amazing. I mean, I had calls right away that day. Um, Michael Landsberg reached out, which meant a lot. I remember the first time I met Michael. I used to work at TSN, and he was wandering around. I actually, went up into his dressing room and told him, "Hey, thank you for doing what you do. This is be like, I don't know, 2010 maybe. Thank you for doing what you do. It means a lot to somebody like me." Like, I just wanted to thank him because without Michael, I wouldn't have done that article. And I, I, I feel like you're stealing some of his thunder in a way, but it's like, no, there's, there's lots of room to share lots of stories. And I got phone calls that day, um, you know, from colleagues, from people I haven't talked to in a while. I got emails, tweets, retweets, but like, it sounds selfish, but when some, then, you know, you're out in public and someone will come up and talk to you and say, hey, I read that article. Thank you. That 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 means a lot. And I was at a a ball game in the in the country this summer, and a dad came up to me. Hey, thanks for that article. My my son is going through the same thing. He was playing out on the ball field. He was a kid, and it's like, man, it's everywhere. So that was beyond positive. I'd say I had one negative thing set at me, but again, there was a time when that one negative would put me down, and I was just like. Pfft whatever everyone's entitled to their opinion you know I, I can't control that opinion but i can control how i react to it so that's something i've learned so yeah it, it was uh pretty incredible uh i was a little reluctant to do the story again because i didn't want to be a victim i didn't want to be you know people feel sorry for me i don't want anyone to feel sorry for me but again if you throw it out there and and you can say hey man i'm pretty happy now i went through some crap for a long time and there was there was no one real thing that just kind of put me over it was just this place i was in and i it's hard to explain why to some people but it's just like if you suffer from anxiety depression it, it is what it is so i just wasn't this happy guy and, and there was a, a robin williams picture i just tweeted out i think it was something to the effect of nobody Nobody fakes depression. People fake being happy, so be kind. And I, I was like, oh, my God. And I, I kept saying in the article, I would wear a mask for years. And that's what it was. Like, if you saw me, you'd think I was a happy guy. But I was almost like the sad clown. And now when you see me, if I'm happy, I'm happy. If I'm not, I'm not. I'm not going to put it on anymore. And putting it on was exhausting. Like, it was like, just, it was tiring. But then the way that doing that article was... I don't want to say liberating, but it's nice to be able to just talk about it and not hide it, you know, and I guess that would be my big coming out party, that article, but 
for years before, you know, I'd, I'd been talking about it, but when you put it on that big stage, you, you're kind of worried about how it's going to turn out and stuff, but it turned out great. And I was, I was more than happy with the reaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I remember when it came out, you know, for a lot of reasons, one, anytime somebody with uh, notoriety yeah. comes out about their mental health story, like us in communications are, you know, fairly excited, you know, just to have another advocate, but yeah, you're unique in a sense because your your on screen personality is is so like boisterous and you know you can be silly sometimes and you're high energy and um it just didn't seem like for somebody that's not familiar with mental illness you know the two don't jive right like yeah. that's not that's that's not the ken reed i know watching on tv yeah and uh i think for some some it might have been hard to you know I guess to reconcile that, but for others, it probably spoke to like yeah. the, the masks they wear, right? Like it must yeah, have been an totally. interesting experience for people around you too. That um, when yeah. you're wearing those masks, right? Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know. It just kind of dawned on me right now when you say that. It's like ever since I kind of got over that hump, and I'd say I got over the hump probably two or three years into talking to my psychologist. So let's say, let's call it, I don't know, thirty-five or something, somewhere around in there. And this is just dawning on me now. So from Day of birth to 12, 13 years old, I'm just the happiest kid, right? I'm, I'm cool. And I guess now I feel like that kid again, right? And there was this gap in there for, I don't know, however many years. Say, let's call it 15, 20 years where I was just not that guy. And now what you see on TV, I always tell aspiring broadcasters, I go, you guys ever hear of Audio Slave? And, you know, they're all 20 years old. They're like, no. I'm like, okay, it's this old band from 2006. And I go, they have this great lyric, to be yourself is all that you can do. And once you figure out on TV to be yourself, you're either going to have success or you're going to fail. But at least you'll fail or succeed as your own. So when you see me on TV and I'm pumped and I'm psyched up and I'm reading hockey highlights, that's me. Now, if I feel a little subdued right now, it's because I just got up half an hour ago because <laughs> I work till 3 in the morning. Yeah. So when I'm pumped up doing hockey highlights, that's me. And that was what, like, that was me when I was, like, a kid watching hockey, right? And to me... I'm pretty happy guy right now, for the most part. And that's, I guess, my mental uh, makeup now is kind of the same I was when I was a kid. You know, bad days would happen, you know, but I figure it out. And, you know, I don't cry and scream and yell and I don't get a toy anymore, but I'm not full of anxiety and dread. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, my, my gut isn't, like, turning constantly. Mm-hmm. I don't sweat when I'm not supposed to, you know, it's just, and a lot of it came, comes, I think, with just realizing that, you know, I, I am who I am, take it or leave it, I'll be nice to you, I can control, I can't control what you think, I can control what I think, the the, the meds are probably working wonders, I hope, <laughs> um, they're definitely helping, and and just discussing my problems. So like when I go to my doctor now, I mean, some days I go in there and I'm like, mm, I don't really have much. And we just start chatting and then I'll go, oh yeah. Like the, yesterday I was in there and there was this thing I was dealing with and, and uh, I brought it up to her several times and I went in yesterday and 35 minutes and she asked me and I thought, oh yeah, that thing. And it was like, I guess I've moved on. and. Whereas before, things would just hang with you, and I'm just so glad. It's 
I guess when you when you finally address your mental health and like I'm not perfect, but I think I'm normal. And I think what I always wanted to be was normal. And uh when I used to look at normal people, I'm like, wow, they had a bad day and the next day they're just they're good and they dealt with it. And I used to sit in my room or lay awake in bed at night, just going, Can I be normal? Why is this bothering me? Why do I feel this way? Why the little littlest things bother me? I used to get off if I made a mistake on a sports cast and just freak out and I'd be angry and I'd be I'm such a loser. And now I'm like, I made a mistake. Move on. You know? I'm in a business where if you mispronounce a name, people are, will tweet at you and call you a moron and an idiot. And I'm like, do you know how many names there are in the world? There's a lot of names. So, yeah, I'm going to screw up. And things like that used to bother me. And and my, the perception of others used to bother me. And and But now it's, you know, it's, I just kind of let it go. And I, and I was able to let it go just through... A lot of a lot of work, but it was very rewarding, and I'm I'm glad I'm just kind of normal, I guess, mm. normal as I am ever going to be anyway. You know, you know, I kind of mentioned you know the industry a little bit as a kind of a consumer of like news and sports news. Yeah. I really noticed, um, you know, kind of it seems like a purposeful move, obviously towards diversity. Uh, in terms of uh, on-screen personalities, uh-huh. but also allowing uh, personalities to show their personalities and be human, you know, whether they're uh, on the screen or in social media or, uh, you know, there's obviously there's a litany of podcasts out there where people, uh, you know, are expressing their personal views or giving kind of insights into their, into their life. And you're, you know, you're now part of that, right? Like you talked, you mentioned Michael Landsberg. There was a, yeah. you know, he used to be the lone wolf kind of in this he sphere. Was, for, uh, Salute know, to like, Michael, man. The, he was, he was our, the, our brave heart. You know, he started mm-hmm. it all. He was, was the lone wolf. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he's got a big posse with him now, I guess. Do you feel that, you know, whether it's, you know, from a mental health perspective or just, you know, inclusivity or um, diversity that things are shifting? And are you happy with the way, you know, the speed at which things are changing? Yeah, I think it definitely shifted. It's okay to talk about it now. Like, uh, it's all right. I remember um, having a horrible time in Edmonton once when I lived there, and I hadn't told much anyone about what I was going through, and going to my news director and just kind of saying, man, I need a day. I'm just, I'm not there. And I opened up to him, and he was like, you take as much time as you want. He was this great guy. And now you have companies saying, if you need a day, right? Or let's be aware of this. So yeah, there's a shift for sure. Um, it's it's nice that employers don't need their anchors to be those old concrete classic news anchors we used to have that were almost robots. Uh, my employer lets me be the absolute moron and idiot that I am. What you see is what you get. Um, if you think I'm an idiot on TV, you'd think I was an idiot in person because Again, I think something that probably contributed to my anxiety early on in my career was I wanted to be a sportscaster. When now I just realize I'm me and I happen to be a sportscaster, right? Like you'd go on, <clears throat> you're trying to sound a certain way when you do the news. And now I'm like, well, this is my nasally maritime voice, take it or leave it. So, you know, employers are better now. And they're they're aware that... Um, mental health is important. I mean, if you take care of your, if I was an employer 
and I took care of my employees' mental health, I think it would help my bottom line. No sick days, you know, you just spend a little to get a lot. So it makes, I think it makes financial sense too. But it's nice that on a human level, it's it's there more than anything. And yeah, I think, look, there's always room to improve anything. My sculpted body, man, I can sit here right now <laughs> or I can work on it. But, you know, there's always room for improvement. But um, I'm very happy where we're at right now with, I don't know, there's employers care for the most you know there's always going to be exceptions nobody's perfect but when you're having a bad day you're you're allowed to have a bad day now and as michael says it's okay not to be okay and i think people are realizing that yeah you see you mentioned shane corson yeah uh, you know working with him he's he's been on our podcast kelly rudy's been on our podcast and he's mm -hmm. talked a lot about his you know own mental health struggles himself yeah. and with his within his family um, it really seems like it's growing, like the number of people who are willing to, uh, mm -hmm. to share their personal experience. Like, um, do you think we have much further to go or what would you like to see us kind of, you know, tackle next? Don't know. That's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. Like, um, I would like to see provincial health, um, authorities cover, um, like OHIP, when I go to my psychologist, I got to pay. I'm fortunate. I'm in a position where I can afford that. There's people that are not. I think mental health should be covered by provincial health care. I guess that's where I would like, like if you were to ask me what one thing would you like to see, I'd like to see that. But uh, yeah, but when you see a guy like Kelly, say he suffers from mental health. I mean, when you see Kelly and when you meet Kelly, he's the most positive, uplifting guy you're ever going to meet. Same with Course. Like Shane Corson is just... He's a beautiful person and fortunate Shane and I have done talks in front of people where, where I interview Shane the same way you're interviewing me. And I always say the difference between Shane and I is 10 years. He's way better at hockey and he's far more handsome. <laughs> Other than that, like our journey is like, it's so similar. The anxiety that this just like the, and it happened at the same age and like everything hit ahead. Um, laying in bed, wondering what's wrong with you when when you're just a good you're just a good person and and you're just you just got to reach out and and just say look i need help instead of trying to do it yourself and that was shane that was me but yeah if i would like to see one thing change i would i would love for for someone to be able to to go to a a psychologist or it's like whatever the term is and uh, you don't have to shell out 250 dollars or whatever the cost is you're reimbursed or you're it's on your health care. That's, that's the one thing I would like to change because um, OHIP covers a broken leg, so they should cover this thing as well. Well, there's lots of data to suggest, like for employers, that you, know, you take care of your employees' mental health productivity. It's sure. going to increase. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, being somebody who shared their story, and we, you know, we talked about you know, Michael Landsberg and that kind of being the only person in that space for, for quite some time. When you think back to your, you know, maybe your earlier years when you're first struggling with this, because now, you know, we see um, people of all ages sharing their story. Um, just, you know, just last week we had a, a young man who was 22 talking about, you know, his journey at 14, yeah. 15. Yeah. Do you think that would have helped you at all? Like, do you think if you would have yeah. saw somebody that looked or sounded like you who wasn't, I think, you know, ashamed I, and being a front would have helped you back then? I think so. Uh, I'd like to think so. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just, sat in my room and didn't go out and wondered what was wrong and yeah um there 
wasn't that person that I can think of then. I mean, I, I collected Corey Hirsch hockey cards. Little did I know that Corey was going through this this thing when he was just starting with the New York Rangers. I watched Michael Landsberg on TV. I didn't know. I watched Kelly with his headband. And it just wasn't stuff we talked about then. Um, and But but like you, we said earlier, there was this stigma then. I remember like that you would just use the term crazy. And if someone seeked mental health, they'd, they'd use the term crazy. And I remember going past the, the mental health hospital in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. There was a nickname for the place, you know. Um, I remember people chanting at a goalie at a junior game when I was a kid. They would, I, I'll use what they, like just yelling at the kid because apparently he had had a breakdown and the whole crowd screaming at him. And that was kind of like, well, geez, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I can't tell anybody. So I'm glad that there's people out there that can look at somebody who's who's got a bit of a public persona and they can say, yeah, you know, I guess I'm not alone. And that's that's what the importance of doing that story is. And, you know, like when Michael put himself out there, that was such a strong thing to do. And I remember watching an episode of Off the Record when he hit Stefan Riche on. And Stefan saying, you know, he just started speeding in his car hoping he would crash. And Stefan Richet was my guy, man, number 44. And seeing that, that helped me a lot. And that would have been, GC would have had Stefan on off the record. I'm guessing 06, maybe around there. Maybe, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, and that that seeing Stefan Richet say that to me was like, what, like, Mr. 50 goals for the Montreal Canadiens, him too. He was my guy, man. I had a Stefan Riese t-shirt. <laughs> and so that helped me. So, yeah, obviously, I think if a, if a, if a young kid seeing someone talk about it now, that's, that's helping them. And it's funny, you know, I don't really step back and think about it that way. What if I was 14 and I saw that? But, yeah, I think it would, it would help. So it, it's funny. You don't want to say the more, the merrier. You don't want more people <laughs> suffering from mental health. But I think for those of us who are, are dealing with it, you might as well open up about it. Like Kendra Fisher, you know, mm-hmm. great goaltender. And, and also on a podcast with, at one point. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. And Kendra <laughs> had to deal with stuff that basically took her off Team Canada. She, like, mm. Kendra and I have spoken, and man, same again, right there with her. Same deal. Same deal. And, uh, yeah, it def- definitely would have helped now that I think back about it. But... You know that that's a good thing. That means we're means we're evolving. Means we're we're open to speak about it. One of the more interesting guys today is Robin Leonard. He's the goalie yeah. for the Vegas Golden Knights, who's yeah. been open about his battle and struggles with bipolar disorder. Yeah. And have you have you been on his Twitter feed at all? Yes. Have you seen like the yes. guy? The guy is uh, an open book. Uh, He's an open book. About, not just about uh, mental health issues, but um, you know, he'll, he'll answer any question uh, honestly uh, that yeah. you ask him. Yeah. And uh, I just wonder what you think of the way he's dealt with uh, his own mental health and the way he's kind of approached it. I think uh, it's liberating, right? He just puts it out there, man. Hey, I'm bipolar goalie. Look at Mauro Ronaldo, uh, the bipolar rock and roller. I think he calls himself the boxing announcer. And Robin puts it out there, and he will go at people. He'll voice his opinion on the game, and again, whatever helps you. And I think 
whatever persona he's put out there, I think he's an open book and I think he chooses to do it on social media. That's, that's cool. Um, I try not to, to interact too much uh, on the social media thing. It just doesn't make me feel good, but maybe it makes him feel good. So if whatever works for you, I think is uh, how I would go about it. But I, I like that Robin's very open about, you know, I'm bipolar. This is what I deal with. Take it or leave it. And that's, I think that is probably liberating. Goes back to, to be yourself is all that you can do. That's who he is. So I'm sure for years he wasn't, I'm guessing, comfortable putting that out there. But when you put it out there and it's like, hey man, take it or leave it. You know, I can't control how you feel about me, but I can't control how I feel about you. And, you know, if somebody doesn't like me, you know, I can't do much about that. If somebody doesn't like Robin, he can't do much about that, but he can at least be true to himself. And the funny thing is, for most people who interact with me on Twitter or whatever, or say, you suck, you suck, if they meet you, they go, oh, you're not that bad a guy. Yeah, they still want to meet you. They just, yeah. Uh... <laughs> it's like, so yesterday, again, I tweeted out Barry Bonds. I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I think the Hall of Fame got it right. That's a sports opinion. So I wake up today and read your mentions and someone's like, you're a moron. And I'm like, okay. I might be a moron, but that opinion I don't think makes me a moron. We just differ. So if this person met me on the street, they probably wouldn't come up and say you're a moron. And if they did, they're entitled to it as well. But yeah, I like what Robin Leonard does because I think he's being true to himself. So I think that's a, that's an empowering thing. It makes you feel better, man, when you can just put it out there. I don't care anymore. He's part of a generation, like just to maybe go to sports for a second, strictly sports, I guess, although there's probably parallels. He's part of a generation of hockey players that aren't cut, aren't from the same mold uh, that you know, 10, yeah. 15, 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I think of like Jack Hughes and Austin Matthews and some of these guys that you know are active on social media and are you know, will, Trevor Zegras, you know, will try different things and and kind of show their personality. Um, I wonder what you think of that, uh, you know, as somebody in sports broadcasting and also, you know, somebody who's being true to yourself, right? It seems like these guys are being true to themselves, you know, in terms of their personalities. That's just it. I mean, I'm old, right? I, and if that's how the boys want to get through the day, have at her. Be yourself, man. I mean, it's funny when you look at old interviews from Wayne Gretzky when he was 17, 18, you know, he's pretty confident kid. These are confident kids. Um, I I love it. You know, Brad Marchand grabs a guy's phone the other night, starts talking to him. I love that. That's great. Why not? And then there's other guys like who aren't on social media at all. And that's fine too. You know, have at it. I mean, I don't really care what a player wears to the rink. I'm a suit guy, right? I want you wearing a suit. But hey, man, if you want to wear some weird pants that are cut off at your knees, sneakers, have at it. Who am I? Who am I to say, right? So, yeah. And if if you're just Again, just being yourself, I think that's a liberating thing. And for a lot of people in mental, with struggle with mental health, I think they're afraid to be themselves. I know I was. I was just afraid to be myself. And the mask I wore was just, it was, it was just such a burden. And maybe, maybe that's what Robin went through. I mean, years ago on the ice, if someone found out you were bipolar, I'm sure they'd be chirping you and they'd be screaming at you. Fans would mm -hmm. be screaming at you. And Robin's kind of like, yeah, this is who I am whatever so that's i mean if you want to talk about how far we've come think about that and then it's your goalie admitting he's bipolar that mm -hmm. that means yeah. we've come a in long the, way 
in the prime of his career, like not yes. doing it, not doing it at the end or when it's over. And, right. That, right? Like, that shows it, you how far we've come. So good on him for being a leader. Yeah. You know, well, the one, I know you're a father, uh, you know, of young children. And I just think about, you know, being sports obsessed, you know, it sounds like we had very similar childhoods, right? I, yeah. Um, I'd wait for the paper on Saturday to come out so I could memorize all the baseball yeah. stats from all yeah. the teams, right? Like that's, yeah. that was my life. And the image of athletes who were, you know, my role models and idols was very scripted and sculpted, right? They were cut from yes. a certain yes. mold, right? And if you feel like you don't fit into it, 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 it you know, makes you feel like you don't fit into it, right? Like that you're mm -hmm. an outsider to some degree. And today, you know, whether it's those guys or what you see, um, like Simone, what Simone Biles did during the Olympics mm -hmm. um, with her mental health, or even just in terms of their personalities alone, just being themselves and, and not being constricted to a mold. And mm -hmm. as a father, I'm like, I like that. I like that my kids can look, they can find the role model yeah. uh, that suits their own personality. I wonder, you know, how you feel about that. That's a great point. I mean, you go back a generation before us, uh, the way the media wrote about players, like Mickey Mantle was the golden child. He was this blonde New York Yankee, the perfect specimen. Mickey Mantle was a flawed man. I mean, we've learned that now. But for my dad's generation, if he grew up looking at Mickey Mantle, Mickey Mantle was this perfect human specimen. So then I guess you got to be a perfect human specimen. But Mickey Mantle wasn't a perfect human specimen. Mickey Mantle was a flawed man, flawed like the rest of us. Um, yeah, I remember when I was a kid, you'd hear, oh, that, that player smoked cigarettes. You'd be thinking, oh, my God. So, But they kind of got out, right? Now, you're, that's a great point. My, my little guy, I have two. The, the oldest is just a sports fanatic. The other guy could care less. Um, but, yeah, he, when he, he's grown up looking at players that are cut from different molds, right? And, and the media is telling you their stories. And the players are telling you their own stories via their their own social media feeds and like the story of the the hockey player growing up on the farm i'm like austin matthews from arizona things <laughs> change um and the narrative has changed and and players are their own personalities now and i think that's good for kids it's good for kids to see that that they can fit in if like there kind of is no mold anymore for the perfect athlete whereas when we were kids there still was go back to previous generation, there totally was. Um, but we know about guys, what makes them tick, what their personalities are, uh, where before it was kind of like okay, the perfect human specimen. And it's like, eh, there really wasn't such a thing, even though we were told there was. Yeah, it was just there, here's their poster, and all of a sudden they they were born and ended up scoring 160 e points in the league, right? Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I like the authenticity you know, yes. There, like when you said earlier that the world's divided, I you know I agree. Um, there's so many. I think there's so many mixed uh, pieces in the world today. And one of the things that I do like is you you can you know for the most part you, you know there is a certain level of authenticity. We may not like how authentic yes. somebody is, yes. but they can be real and unlikable. Um, yeah. But they're but they're not, they're not trying to be somebody they're not. Right. You think about Dennis Rodman. Yeah, you know, but like, like today, he you he wouldn't even like him and Ron Artest would just be you know they would yeah. just be guys, right? Yeah. Like back <laughs> when they were playing, they were such big deals because they were so different. That's true too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, basketball's 
it's uh, it seems to always be at the forefront of guys being themselves, which is a good thing. Um, every but every sport, it's every sport's different too, right? The personalities in sports, like okay, in basketball, I kind of get why guys can be a little more individualistic because you know a superstar can play forty minutes of a forty-eight minute game, and he can dictate it. Or in hockey, I kind of get why it's a little more. The guys are a little more uniform because you know the best player can only play twenty-five minutes of the sixty-minute game. So it, yeah, it all makes sense yeah. in a way. There's more. There's more plugs on a team than superstars. Right? Yeah, so, exactly. Right? That, that's what my P is for. Plug. <laughs> well, uh, this has been a great conversation. I could probably go forever, but seeing as yeah. you just woke up half an hour ago, I'll give you time. Yeah, to yeah. Know, late nights, man. Late nights to, to get yourself together for Look work. At the bed so. Look at that. <laughs> well, I, if I had bed head, I'd, I'd wear it proudly. Yeah. With pride, I mean. <laughs> But uh, thanks, Ken. Really appreciate uh, your honesty. And um, when people like you share their story, like I know you got a lot of feedback from your, your network and people on social media, but I, I know there's uh, thousands, if not many more, that were impacted by it and remember that. And you're making a difference uh, by being so honest. So thank oh, you thanks. very much. Thanks, Daryl. And yeah, if anyone's struggling, the first step is to reach out. And then I always say, like, uh, if you want to get better at hockey, I, I can listen to my son, I can give him a few tips, but he should probably see a pro. So, if you, if you can't, see a pro. I might tell my son that later today. So, yeah, yeah. Anyways, Thanks, thank you very much. See you, buddy.